Good morning. Happy Master's Sunday to all of you. That won't mean anything to some of you. <laughs> could be an exciting day down in Augusta, Georgia. We could have a 58-year-old win a Master's. Nobody has won a major championship under the age of 48, so could surpass that by 10 years. Wonderful Christian guy, by the way. Apparently, could have a guy win back-to-back. -back. Doesn't happen too often. Could have a young guy win the career grand slam. Could have the first Japanese winner. A lot of storylines, a lot of excitement today could play out. But I was thinking about that and thinking that I hope we never lose the excitement of coming together every Sunday. I'm serious. And I hope we don't lose the excitement of coming together, of sharing communion with one another, and coming each Sunday anticipating what the good Lord has for us on that particular day, on this particular day. And that certainly has been my prayer this week, that the Lord will give to us what he wants us to receive, to grow in knowledge of him, to grow closer to him, to grow closer to one another. And so I hope that is our experience today. Our theme verse comes uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul writes and he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. The reality of life is, biologically, physiologically, we just waste away a little bit each and every day. That is kind of a negative thought. I realize that. But the Apostle Paul wrote it, and many of us can kind of vouch for that reality in our lives. But knowing me better than that, we're not focusing on the negative, we're focusing on the positive. And the positive statement in this verse is, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And the question driving this series is, how in fact can we be renewed day by day? Yes, there's this reality of physically we're not today what we were yesterday or five years ago or ten years ago or, you know... Few of us, unlike Bernard Langer, who at 58 years old may win this tournament today, seems ageless, but the reality is he's not what he was 20 years ago. He's not physically what he was 10 years ago. And yet, how can we experience daily renewal in a spiritual sense and claim with Paul that we are being renewed day by day? How does that happen? And that is spoken by somebody and written by somebody who experienced shipwrecks, who was imprisoned, who was abused, who was, you know, physically tortured, who was, and yet he says, hey, I'm renewed every day. How do you experience that? Well, that's, again, the focus of this series. And in this four-part series, I'm going to use 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as a springboard passage to in part answer this question. We can experience daily renewal through being involved in meaningful ministry. That was last week. Today we're going to focus on the thought that daily renewal can happen as we commit to sacrificial servanthood. Next week, we can experience daily renewal through pursuing and acquiring necessary knowledge, key knowledge, which we read about in 2 Corinthians 4. And finally, we can experience daily renewal when we look to the future with expectant eyes, hopeful eyes. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. So keep in mind where we're headed in this series. With this in mind, let's focus on the significance of serving and experiencing the daily renewal that flows from our relationships with one another. As we return to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, take a look at verse 5. 
Here the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a servant to others. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, we read this. For what we preach is not ourselves, Paul writes, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul understood and demonstrated that being a servant of God means to serve or give of oneself to others. To be a Christian is to be a Christ follower, and Jesus came into this world not to be served, he says in Mark chapter 10, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I hope you've understood that reality and accepted God's gift in your life through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we, as Christians, have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we we seek to live a life that honors him through being like him and seeking to conform more and more to who he is and to his image and and considering how he lived his life, the words he spoke, the things he did. And we sort of can summarize all that in this wonderful concept of being a servant. Jesus Christ was a servant. And if we claim to be Christians and be like Christ, people will be important to us. Relationships will be valued. They will be nurtured. We will seek to live a life that is others-focused as opposed to lives that are focused on ourselves. And and Paul's life was full of what I call relevant relationships. His life was full of relationships that were very connected, that were very refreshing relationships. And as a result, regardless of what the circumstances of life were, Paul experienced daily renewal through that those relationships and through that commitment to other people with this attitude of servanthood, living a life that was others-focused. As we study the Bible, we can very quickly read through the introductions to the letters that Paul wrote. He wrote many that we have contained in our New Testament. We can sort of quickly read through the introduction. It's like reading a letter. We don't receive letters too much anymore, but when we do, you know, dear, okay, let's get to what the real issue is, right? And, and we can kind of do that with emails. Uh, somebody came into my office last week saying, uh, asking me questions. Well, I said, that was in the email. Well, I just kind of saw the heading, blah, 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 whatever. And I just assumed a lot of things. I didn't bother reading it. You don't expect me to read it. Right? And that's what we've got with our communication today. We don't really read it. You know, we sort of look at a heading or grab a word and think we know, and then off we go. Um, but we need to pay attention to what we read yeah, in your emails and your texts and that, but particularly when we come to the scriptures, we need to read it. And as we read it and read the introductory comments that Paul makes, we find this tremendous value on relationships and this attitude of servanthood. And if we again seek to honor the Lord with our lives, we will live lives that are uh, that are characterized by sacrificial servanthood and will be focused on serving other people, caring about other people, nurturing and establishing relationships. And so just a quick summary of some of the things that Paul wrote at the beginning of these letters. For example, Romans verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. See, it's centered on people. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit and preach in the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last my God's will, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I desire to be with you, to come to you, people, people, people. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. 
That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Don't you love that? You see, there's this focus on relationships. Over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in an introduction to this letter. There we read this in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He was so grateful and thankful for people. In the letter to which we're focusing on this month, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comforts abound through Christ. And get this, if we are distressed, if I experience issues in my life, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces a new patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. You get this interaction, this reciprocal give and take, the beauty of significant relationships as demonstrated through the servanthood of Paul. And let me just, we could read each and every one of them, but we won't take time this morning. But let me come to that wonderful statement in Philemon which we have studied in years past. And in Philemon, we find these words written in the first chapter, verses 4 through 7. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Paul writing to Philemon. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Daily renewal. Paul was renewed day by day by the relationships that he invested in, that he contributed to, that he as a servant of God sought to invest in, and enjoy this wonderful reciprocal interaction from. We we can be truly renewed each and every day, regardless of the circumstances in our life, through the relationships that we have with one another. Are you others-focused, or are we really just centered on ourselves? One of the keys to daily renewal is the focus of being others-centered. Daily renewal occurs in our spiritual hearts when we reach out in caring, loving relationships to others. I want to share with you this morning a very brief summary of one of the most amazing pieces of research that has ever been done. Some of you may be familiar with this. It is a 75-year-old Harvard study, all right? And uh, it's entitled, What Makes a Good Life? Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness. You may have seen this on TED Talks, if you tune into TED Talks at all. But this was presented by Walter Waldinger back in November of, just last fall, November of 2015. This is the transcript of what he presented at this TED Talks, and I just wanted to read a bit of this to you. What if we could watch entire lives as they unfold through time? What if we could study people from the time that they were teenagers all the way into old age to see what really keeps people happy and healthy? Interesting study, huh? Interesting focus. What is it that makes people happy? What is it that makes certain people healthy and happy and others maybe not so much the deal? Well, we did that, he writes. 
The Harvard study of adult development may be the longest study of adult life that's ever been done. Get this, for 75 years, we've tracked the lives of 724 men. (laughs) Year after year, asking about their work, their home lives, their health, and of course, asking all along the way without knowing how their life stories were going to turn out. Studies like this are exceedingly rare. Almost all projects of this kind fall apart within a decade because too many people drop out of the study or funding for the research dries up or the research get distracted or the researchers die and nobody moves the ball further down the field. But through a combination of luck and the persistence of several generations of researchers, the study has survived. And get this, about 60 of our original 724 men are still alive still participating in the study, most of them in their 90s now. And we are now beginning to study the more than 2,000 children of these men, and I'm the fourth director of the study. That's the guy making this presentation. Since 1938, we've tracked the lives of two groups of men. The first group started in the study when they were sophomores at Harvard College. They all finished college during World War II and then went off, most of them went off to serve in the war. And the second group that we followed was a group of boys from Boston's poorest neighborhoods. Boys who were chosen for the study specifically because they were from some of the most troubled and disadvantaged families in Boston in the 1930s. Most live in tenements, many without hot or cold running water. When they entered the study, all of these teenagers were interviewed. They were given medical exams. We went to their homes and we interviewed their parents. And then these teenagers grew up into adults who entered all walks of life. They became factory workers and lawyers, bricklayers and doctors. One became the president of the United States. One of the boys in this study was John F. Kennedy. Interesting, huh? Some developed alcoholism. Some developed schizophrenia and other mental health issues. Some climbed the social ladder from the bottom all the way to the top. And some made that journey in the opposite direction. The founders of this study would never in their wildest of dreams have imagined that I'd be standing here speaking about it to you 75 years later, telling you that the study still continues. Every two years, our patient and dedicated research staff calls up all our men and asks them if we can send them yet one more set of questions about their lives. To get the clearest pictures of these lives, we don't just send questionnaires. So understand this. This isn't just checking off a few boxes. We interview them in their living rooms. We get their medical records from all their doctors. We draw their blood. We scan their brains. We talk to their children. We videotape them talking with their wives about their deepest concerns. And when, about a decade ago, we finally asked the wives if they would join us as a member of the study, many of the women said, well, it's about time, right? So what have we learned? Here's the concluding statement I'm going to bring it to. What have we learned? What are the lessons that come from the tens of thousands of pages of information that we've generated on these lives? Well, the lessons aren't about wealth or fame or working harder and harder. The clearest message that we get from the 75-year study is this. Are you ready? Good relationships keep us happy and healthier, period. (laughs) Interesting, huh? Good relationships keep us happy and healthier, period. The results of this study aren't a surprise to the good Lord this morning. They're not a surprise to the Apostle Paul. 
Right? People pursue happiness and health in all kinds of interesting ways. The bottom line is some of these kids who grew up in poverty ended up being extremely healthy and happy. Why? Because they had significant relationships in their lives. They were focused on caring for each other, having that servant mentality of reaching out to others. Right? Some who had it all in the end didn't have anything because they didn't care about other people. They didn't care about their relationships. They just wanted to climb the corporate ladder, whatever it was. It's an amazing bit of research that once again just proves what this book says from cover to cover. 500 times. Love, 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 love. Care about each other. Love me. I'll summarize it all. Lord, summarize it, Jesus. Come on, summarize it. What's it all about? All right, simple. I can do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbors yourself. Be focused on others. The Apostle Paul was focused on others. He was a sacrificial servant and continued to pour out into the lives of other people. And that is one reason why I can say, hey, yeah, yeah, I've been shipwrecked a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, I've been beaten. Yeah, I've been whipped. Yeah, I've been falsely accused. But you know what? Yeah, my body's falling apart. I got this thorn in the flesh thing going on. Can't get rid of that. Don't know what that's all about. Wish God would take it and get rid of it, but he doesn't. Every day physically, I'm a bit more of a mess than I was the day before. But guess what? My heart is renewed every day. Why? Well, I'm involved, engaged in his ministry, number one. And two, I care about people. And these relationships just keep pouring into my life and... That's my focus. That's my purpose. Look at how I begin each letter. It's about people. And as I invest in others, I am renewed every day. Wow. You see, the relationships the Apostle Paul had with others brought him incredible renewal, joy, and happiness. He was always focused on sacrificially serving, supporting, loving, and caring others for others. And even though Paul was outwardly wasting away, he was renewed day by day because of the re- relevant relationships he had with others. And to continue this further, let's just turn to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.16 is our springboard verse in that chapter, our springboard passage. But we want to look around the New Testament this month and connect with other passages. And so this morning, Philippians chapter 1. Pardon me, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Again, there's that emphasis of life. To all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you see how relational this all is? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise 
of God. With respect to Paul's relationship with others, please notice that he was a thankful servant, a hopeful servant, and a prayerful servant. As he approached relationships with people, he was thankful, he was hopeful, and he was prayerful for those people in his life. Notice, first of all, that Paul was a thankful servant. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. We need to be thankful for those special friends, those relationships in our life. We need to be so appreciative for the daily renewal we experience through relevant relationships and the people who enhance and contribute so much to the quality of our lives. Let's be careful not to take people for granted. Let's be sure to continue to invest in relationships, seeking to make a difference in the lives of others and allowing their love to help us grow and and be the best that we can be. And that begins at home. That begins at home. We continue to invest in the lives of the people who are in our home, (laughs) in our families. You know, it's something that I just am so impressed by as a grandparent. When that little one comes over to our house, my goodness. Mom just can't get a hold of her. Everybody's wanting time to hold that precious new little life. What a beautiful thing it is to see people just pour love into this little life. She comes into this world surrounded by people who love her. Do we invest in the lives of the people in our homes? Do we continue to invest in those people who are who have been friends for a long time. Old friends are gold friends, folks. And what a wonderful thing it is to have people around us who we can share life with, who we can enjoy life with, who we can thank God for like Paul does here in Philippians. A British publication once offered a prize for the best definition of a friend Among the thousands of answers received were the following, one who multiplies joys, divides grief, and whose honesty is inviolable. I-N-V-I-O-L-A-B-L-E, British word, don't know. One who understands our silence. That's interesting, huh? You don't necessarily have to say anything, but somebody just gets you and understands what you're thinking about, what you're feeling, even though you're not really saying anything. A volume of sympathy bound in cloth. (laughs) Okay. A watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. The winning definition was this. A friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Right? If people who you can depend on, Paul did, because he invested in people. He cared about people. There was this mutual interaction and reciprocal, beautiful relationships playing out in his life. And regardless of the circumstances, when the whole world had gone out, there were people who Paul in his heart knew cared and loved and supported him. And what a tremendous source of renewal that was each and every day. It's baseball season. We're not off to the best start. We thought we were going to be, if you're a Blue Jays fan. But anyway, it's baseball season, so again, this wonderful story, I may have shared this with you before, but Jackie Robinson was the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. Breaking baseball's color barrier, he faced jeering crowds in every stadium. You can imagine this. I was down, I sat on the third baseline, this is years ago, when Joe Carter was nearing the end of his career. 
And there were some people. I mean, it's the guy who hit the big home run, right, who won us a World Series. I mean, okay, he wasn't what he once was at this point. This was really near the end, right? The body was wasting away just a little bit every day, right? And that's just the reality of an athlete. It's the reality for all of us. But as I sat there, there were some season ticket holders who abused him every inning. He jogged out to left field and jogged back. And I got sick and tired of listening to these people because it was profane. It wasn't even just, you know, crazy fan stuff. They were verbally abusive to this guy 18 times that night, right? Walk out, running, coming back, in, and back up. And it was just... Oh, no. Jackie Robinson, you, you, you can imagine being out on a field, in some case with 50,000 people, who are all your enemy for this horrific racial stuff that was playing out in his day. Can you imagine being the only guy breaking that color barrier? And what he endured was horrific. If you get a chance to read the books, to watch the movie, it just gives you insight into what this man endured. And so he's standing out there, facing jeering crowds in every state. And while playing in one day in his home stadium in Brooklyn, he committed an error. The fans began to ridicule him en masse. He stood at second base humiliated while the fans jeered. Then shortstop Pee Wee Reese, the sort of captain of the Brooklyn Dodgers in the day, a southern white guy, came over and stood next to him. He put his arm around Jackie Robinson and faced the crowd. Imagine doing that. A friend is somebody who comes in when the whole world has gone out. The fans grew quiet. Imagine 50,000 people. Quiet. The gesture spoke more eloquently than the words, this man is my friend. And Jackie Robinson later said, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. Paul was so thankful for the people in his life. Are you? Am I? Along with being a thankful servant, Paul was a hopeful servant. I love this thought. Notice verse 6 of Philippians 1. Paul says, I am confident, see the hopefulness in the statement, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was incredibly hopeful for his friends. He desired the best for them and inspired each one of them to be the best that they could be. He was a tremendous encourager. Right? Paul encouraged people to be the best that he could be. And if you read the language here, It's like he enters in and partners with God to do this incredible work that God was busy doing in the lives of these people. And as believers here, folks, as Christians this morning, God is busy doing a work in your life. He's busy doing a work in my life, and we can partner with him to to see that work move forward in each other, right? That won't happen if we are negative, if we are gossiping, if we are tearing each other apart. That's not going to help. We get enough of that out there, right? That's not going to help God with this work that he wants to do in our lives if that's the way we interact with each other. But if we are hopeful for each other, 
desiring the best for each other. Remember, we've had the conversation before, presuming positive intentions, seeking to build up, encourage, help along the way. We're partnering with God to move our character forward. And yeah, it's okay to be hopeful for each other that you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's all right. That's all right. That's a good thing. I want my friends to be successful at life. Of course they do. I want my kids to be successful at life. Right? We want to be able to make enough money to survive, to have a roof. Of course we want. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. I don't think. If that becomes your focus, there's something wrong with it. But we can be hopeful for good things, right? But more importantly to God than all of that is the character development that's going on inside. Because as we read in that study, those some of those Boston boy teenagers born in the 1930s had a horrific life from the outside looking in. No hot or cold running water? Living in a city? Kidding me? No money? No jobs? But guess what? They were happy, healthy guys. Why? Because of what was going on inside based on the relationships that they had with other people. You know, there's all kinds of studies. None of them are 75 years long, right? Which is incredible when you think about it. There's all kinds of studies of, you know, people coming from other cultures who, you know, came to Canada or came to the States and, man, they worked 23 to 24 hours. They, they had nothing. Their diets weren't very good. Nobody knew about exercise. They smoked, they drank, they interacted. But guess what? They lived it. They're like 100 years old. Well, how? Well, and part of the research is, well, it's because of the people they had around them, right? Their attitudes, their focus, their perspectives were positive and healthy because of people, because of family. They stayed together. And they experienced all those difficulties, not isolated as islands, but together. And we can experience so much daily renewal by being hopeful servants, Hopeful with one another. Hoping for the best. Partnering with God to be the best that we can do. Being a part of the work that He is doing in our lives. And I love what Paul says about Philemon. Man, he says, I am refreshed by you. (laughs) And there's people in your life you could turn to and say, Man, I am just refreshed by being around you. Man, I needed a time out. I needed to get out and have a coffee with you. I needed to go play golf with you. I needed to do whatever I do. I just needed to be encouraged and refreshed by you. That's the source of daily renewal, folks. The world is full of criticism, judgment, and negativity. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be renewed each day through the comfort and caring that we can receive one with the other? A 2005 article in the National Geographic identified three regions of the world where people have consistently shown longer lifespans. Okinawa, Sardinia, and Loma Linda, California. That was kind of an interesting one. Dan Butner, a researcher and explorer involved with this 2005 article, decided to do a follow-up study to determine if there were more regions to be discovered. His team found an enormously large number of people living past the age of 90, even into their 100s, on the Nicoya Peninsula in Costa Rica. Intrigued, Butner and a large research team made their way to the region to discover what factors aided in living a longer life. They found that longevity is due in part to diet, sun exposure, and source of water, but they also found the following factors to be crucial in the survival of this people. 
Five things. The people on the Nicoya Peninsula have a strong sense of purpose. They feel needed and want to contribute to the greater good. That was our message last week, right? Being involved in meaningful ministry. Secondly, they choose to focus on the family. Persons over 100 years of age in this region tend to live with their families. Children or grandchildren provide support and a sense of purpose and belonging. Thirdly, they have strong social networks. Their neighbors visit frequently, and they all seem to know the value of listening, laughing, and appreciating what they have. Sound like life here in the city, huh? They know the value of hard work. They even manage to find joy in everyday physical chores. And lastly, they understand and appreciate their historical roots and spiritual traditions. They were a religious group of people. Interesting, isn't it? Along with being a thankful and hopeful servant, finally, this morning, Paul was a prayerful servant. Notice verse 9 of Philippians chapter 1. Verse 9 begins, and this is my prayer. And we consider this final point this morning, realizing that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the folks in Philippi, he was in jail. He was in jail. And as he's in jail, what does he say? He says, well, I'm praying for you. Would that be your focus? Would that be my focus? No chance. My focus would be, I don't care what's going on in your life. Get me out of here, right? Pray for me. Get me out of here, right? That wasn't Paul's focus. He was focused on other people. And he says, I'm praying for you. Well, what was his prayer? Well, notice that Paul prayed that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul prayed that the love between his friends in the city of Philippi would abound or exceed in measure. What a beautiful thing to pray on behalf of and for those in our spheres of influence. Right? When you think about what we pray for each other, we, we pray for the issues, we pray for the circumstances, we pray for a lot of things. But here Paul prayed that their love may abound more and more in knowledge, uh, and more in knowledge and depth of insight, and it may abound or exceed in measure. Notice that Paul connects knowledge and depth of insight to this abounding love. You see, our love for one another is to be informed and influenced by knowledge and insight concerning the person of Jesus Christ, who is the greatest example of love there is. Verse 11 sets this context when it says we are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And as we are filled with the fruits of righteousness, that knowledge and insight of Jesus Christ will be demonstrated in our abounding love for one another. And as we seek to demonstrate this abounding love, we see Jesus Christ as the selfless, sacrificial servant that he was. And that brings us full circle this morning. As we look at his example, and this is where we're going to go next week, what is the necessary knowledge we need to be renewed day by day? It has a lot to do with the knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. But here as we connect this thought to the life of the Apostle Paul, the value of relationships, we realize that he was a sacrificial servant following the example of Jesus Christ. And as we seek to focus on Jesus Christ and his desire, obviously, to love us to the point of death, we're challenged to consider the value that we put on the relationships in our own lives. 
And Paul was somebody who was a prayerful servant and prayed that each one might experience abounding love in the relationships for one another based on the example of Jesus Christ. I found this interesting illustration earlier. Some men refusing to give up on a friend. Stephen Mansfield tells a true story about a church. This is a true story. (laughs) About a church that had an incredible ministry to men. That's a good thing. For years, the driving force behind this men's ministry was a guy named Taylor. His ministry rocked on for years, changing lives and impacting the community. But in the midst of a major transition within the church, this stuff happens, Taylor got hurt deeply by his own community, and he left the church. He wouldn't talk to anybody. People figured he'd come back eventually, but he never did. Finally, some of the men in the church took it upon themselves to reach out to Taylor. After some discussion with the other guys at the church, they came up with a bold plan. They would set up camp in Taylor's yard. 150 men. So they set up rotating shifts. Said they wouldn't leave until Taylor came out. (laughs) They had electric lines running from neighborhood houses to power television sets. They brought in about 20 grills and barbecues to make some great food. (laughs) These guys were settling in for the long haul. They even had big signs all over the place. Taylor, come out. We love you. Taylor, we know you're in there. This guy didn't appreciate it. In fact, he called the police on his former friends. And as a matter of fact, the police showed up twice a day for a week. And every time they came, Taylor would come to the door to explain the situation. And every time the men camping in his yard would explode with cheers until Taylor finished his chat with the police and went back inside. (laughs) But on the sixth day, when Taylor opened the door for the police and the men exploded with cheers, Taylor finally broke down and started crying his eyes out. He sputtered how sorry he was, and then he came out from his porch and greeted the guys who had camped in his yard and refused to go away. Such is the power of committed, persistent friendship. Paul prayed that their love would abound more and more as they valued the relationships they had with one another. As we seek to follow the example of Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, we need to demonstrate abounding love to one another. And even though outwardly we are wasting away, I hate to say that, but that's just a reality. Inwardly, we can be renewed day by day through quality, loving relationships guided by the principle of sacrificial servanthood. Let me just close with one final story. 2016 is historical in one other sense. It was 80 years ago that Jesse Owens performed in the Berlin Games, another sort of story along those lines of Jackie Robinson. Jesse Owens seemed sure to win the long jump the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin. The year before, he had jumped 26 feet, 8 and a quarter inches, a record that would stand, get this, for 25 years. It's pretty good, huh? As he walked to the long jump pit, however, Owens saw a tall, blue-eyed, blonde German taking practice jumps in the 26-foot range. Owens felt nervous. He was acutely aware of the Nazis' desire to prove Aryan superiority, especially over guys like Jesse. At this point, the tall German introduced himself as Lutz Long. He's in the long jump. Uh, it's his last name. Anyway. 
You should be able to qualify with your eyes closed, he said to Owens, referring to his two jumps. For the next few moments, the black son of a sharecropper and the white model of Nazi manhood chatted. Then Long made a suggestion. Since the qualifying distance was only 23 feet, five and a half inches, why not make a mark several inches before the takeoff board and jump from there just to play it safe, right? So if you, if you cross over that line, you're disqualified, right? So he said, let's just back it up. We're both going to do the same thing. Just, we're going to set a little mark in the sand. We're going to leave before the board just to make sure we don't get disqualified. We can kind of see this thing through. Owens did that and qualified easily. In the final, Owens set an Olympic record and earned the second of four golds. In fact, a record that stood, say, for 25 years. The first person to congratulate him was Lutz Long, in full view of Adolf Hitler. A friend is the only one who shows up when the whole world has checked out. And you can imagine what Jesse Owens experienced in 1936 in Berlin at the historical time. Imagine what he experienced, and here he is winning a gold medal. How would that go over? The first person to congratulate him was Lutz Long in full view of Adolf Hitler. Owens never again saw Lutz Long. He was killed in World War II. You could melt down all the medals and all the cups I have, Owens later wrote, and they wouldn't be a plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt for Lutz along the value of friendships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being with us today. We thank you for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for all that you have done and sacrificed for us. And Father, as we consider uh, our relationships with one another, we pray that you would help us to be uh, more like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, more like the example of the Apostle Paul, and seek to be servants who are committed to giving to others, to establishing, to nurturing, to be involved in relevant relationships and giving thanks for those people in our lives who are friends, being hopeful for them, and being prayerful for them. And as we do that, we trust that you'll draw us closer to you and closer to one another, and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.